0: Today's episode is brought to you by Fangoria Magazine. This year, Fangoria Magazine is turning 40 years old and celebrating accordingly. If you haven't checked out the latest Fangoria issues, prepare to be blown away. It's now a deluxe 100 page quarterly edition with glossy, thick pages and articles and interviews that will never be published online. The only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because the experience deserves to be a surprise. But we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. They're definitely celebrating their 40th in style. Head over to Fangoria.com and learn more and subscribe today. You can use promo code NIGHTMARE to get 15% off your subscription. So head over to Fangoria.com and use promo code NIGHTMARE for 15% off your new subscription. Six Soaps offers a wide variety of horror-inspired, handmade soaps. Spawned from the mind of one woman, Six Soaps are definitely a horror lifestyle upgrade. Designed for actual daily use, these moisturizing soaps feature intricate designs that will stay sick until the last sliver. With sinister scents that cater to both guys and ghouls, they're sure to be a match made in hell for every horror lover. Shop your black heart out at sicksoaps.etsy.com and follow at Sick Soaps on Instagram for limited releases, upcoming appearances, and your daily dose of sickness. Thank you so much, Sick Soaps. Hello and welcome to another episode of Nightmare University. I'm your host Dr. Rebecca McKendry and tonight we are talking about one of my favorite subgenres of horror and I'm going to get into why it's one of my favorites in just a second um, and that is non-sploitation. And this podcast is based partly on an article that I did for Fangoria almost 10 years ago on non but since then, building on my own core area of research, I did a large chunk of my academic research focused on non and I just love this, um, this course of study, this area, so I'm really excited to talk about it with everyone tonight. When most people think about nun movies, they immediately picture like The Sound of Music or The Flying Nun or um, Whoopi Goldberg teaching stuffy nuns how to vocally break loose or Julie Andrews doing her thing with the Von Trapp kids. I mean, nuns have definitely made appearances in renowned cinematic classics, and that tends to be what we think of when we think about nuns in movies. Absolutely, none of those will be discussed in this podcast tonight. Um, Actually, the nuns that I'm going to talk about are way too busy, like doing drugs and and having sex uh, to worry about teaching kids to sing. Specifically, in the 1970s, while the exploitation market was um, filled to the brim with, like, zombies and cannibals and Nazis, there was also this subgrouping about placing nuns in sinful situations. And it became a very small but very controversial subgenre. And with that, welcome to nunsploitation. I'll start with kind of my own fascination within this subgenre. And I'll start with a confession that I was kind of raised without church or any type of religious upbringing. Um, My parents were um, Southern Presbyterian and Methodist. Um, My mom was uh, Presbyterian. My dad was Methodist. But some point when I was about three, we basically just stopped going to church altogether. I don't know if dad just didn't like getting up early on Sundays or what it was, but we pretty much stopped. And never really went back. So I was never really exposed to the idea of um, Christianity beyond like the first three years of my life. Like I knew what it was. I knew it existed. Um, But I, I had studied the Bible in school in an allegorical sense, like how it plays into Moby Dick and stuff like that. But most of what I knew about Christianity and specifically Catholicism came from movies. And so things like the sound of music and then all of the 1980s religious horrors like the seventh sign, the first power, the unholy movies like that were basically my only understanding of what nuns were. So as far as I could tell, they were like these magical, wonderful, spiritual creatures that could sing and dance, and then they could also fight the devil. And in my mind, that was really cool. And so for a long time, I was just kind of fascinated as a child with what nuns were and how they had these kind of otherworldly powers, but were also these beautiful deities that could sing and dance and just wonderful beings. I was also, as I grew up, became very interested in the concept of kind of the rules of society versus sin versus the idea of kind of a self-imposed control. And we do this as a society all the time. Like, you know, some of us make the choice not to eat meat. You know, we work out every day. I'm going to be in bed by midnight. And then if we violate these self-imposed rules that we put on ourselves, we feel bad. Like this is like our personal sin. Um, You know, I feel bad if I go a couple of days with working without working out or if I stay up too late. You know, I feel I feel guilty. I was always fascinated by what type of moral strength and devotion it would take to do this with your entire life, with every element of your life. And I was mostly fascinated and still am to this day because I don't have that type of kind of moral fortitude to be able to do something like that with my entire life. I can barely make it to bed on time. I I try to be vegetarian, but every two months I have kind of a meat day. And so knowing that I kind of break my own moral codes all the time, I was really, and I still am, intrigued by what it takes to do this. And my fascination with nuns in my own life grew even more a couple of years ago when my husband, who had been through years upon years of Catholic school, he grew up in a very Catholic household and had gone to Catholic school for most of his education, um, he had to have back surgery. And the best hospital in the area was was a Catholic hospital. And I will never forget Dave waking up from surgery, like coming out from under the anesthetic and there were nuns in the room helping to take care of him. And they were absolutely lovely people. Um, but he woke up and the look on his face, seeing them, it was like seeing what he would have looked like at age six being punished. Um, and so kind of understanding his, his understanding and how um, he views them has also really led to my fascination. Now with this, I grew completely um, mesmerized with non films, this kind of subgrouping of the 1970s. So before we get into non let's start with talking about what exploitation is because the 1960s, late 60s, and early 70s were just full of exploitation. If there's one thing that I had to say kind of dominated um, the entire decade across the board, it's exploitation filmmaking. And exploitation filmmaking um, is kind of best defined as a moral taboo something that is not normally discussed in society, but that you um, or it maybe it is, but you're going to really use that as the selling point to the film. The plot becomes secondary to whatever this particular moral or taboo or element is. It can be a social group. um, It could be a culture. It could be a trend. It could be a formula that's being exploited. Surely we had like slasher exploitation and even just this past weekend, I watched this Mexican film don't panic, which I would call Freddy Krueger exploitation. We had jaw exploitation. And then sometimes it's just sex that's being exploited in general. And we have sex exploitation films where it becomes the selling point for the film instead of the plot where exactly what is getting us to the sexy situations is not as important as the sexy situation itself. And that tends to be how I classify exploitation. Most people, um, I will say, outside of horror fans and and kind of unique cinema fans, tend to think of exploitation films as kind of low-rent or B. But so many great films came out of exploitation cinema. I mean, everything from The Exorcist could technically be viewed as exploitation, hostile, even the most recent movie, Crawl, um, with the Animal Runs exploitation movies. And even within our 1970s kind of grindhouse um, exploitation fair, there are so Many amazing movies that I herald as some of my favorite movies ever and that are ones that I turn to again and again for social commentary and for importance of what was going on historically at the time. Um, so these films in their heyday in the 1970s, the exploitation films even had some major, major releases like Deliverance technically is, a, is kind of an exploitation film and certainly even after that kick started a whole um, subgrouping of what would be called redneck exploitation so this wasn't just tiny little crappy films by any regards exploitation especially in the 1970s includes some amazing titles and some amazing releases Now, within exploitation, um, there are a whole bunch of subdivisions, and we can do this much like we do with horror now, where we have slashers and we have creature features and we have satanic films. Within exploitation, there was car exploitation, redneck exploitation, sex exploitation, Nazi exploitation. Just one of our last episodes was on hag exploitation. And in there is nunsploitation. Um, to be honest, as crazy and shocking as this trend of kind of naughty nun movies of the 1970s sounds, these um, less than sacred nuns were kind of historically old news. Um, throughout Catholic history, it's kind of sprinkled with these seedy tales of nuns straying from the path of God to pursue more earthly pleasures. And literature really includes a lot of kind of these sinning religious figures. All you have to do is read some Chaucer or Robert Browning to get loads of kind of these religious figures who have. strayed from the path. So even though that seeing them on the big screen was um, definitely uh, controversial and kind of the, the extremity of the situations that they were put in during these 1970s films was highly controversial, this idea of straying from the path, not so much. We'd seen this a long time. And even in real-life history, we've heard a lot of stories about naughty nuns throughout history um, that were the basis of future exploitation films. Um, The real-life famous nun, Sister Monza, um, created a 17th-century scandal by supposedly rumored to have taken up a lover, mothering two kids with him, all while supposedly still practicing as a nun. And Sister Monza um, went on to be the topic of a number of these exploitation films – and this alone does not seem that horribly shocking, but the legend was amplified when the church supposedly tried to conceal it and seal the documents regarding the scandal for the next 120 years, which ultimately made the story a lot more notorious. And there are are many of the 1970s exploitation fair based on Sister Monza the 17th century also brought us the exploits of Sister Benita Carlina who had visions of demonic men trying to kill her and therefore decided to begin um, a relationship with a fellow nun and she claimed that through these lesbian intercourses that she experienced religious epiphanies and we're going to see this whole idea of kind of the lesbian relationship with other nuns become um, a really common trope throughout all of these nunsploitation films which we'll talk about in a sec. Perhaps the most famous historically um, questionable nun is the notorious nun of Wanton, who allegedly had sex with a monk at a neighboring monastery and eventually became pregnant. And supposedly she was punished by her fellow daughters of Christ, um, and they eventually decided that it was the man's fault, and they castrated him. So throughout history, whether these stories are true or not, we get these incredibly rich salacious tales of religious figures kind of caught in these compromising situations and so even though that these films of the 1970s felt very new they felt very controversial we'd had stories like this going for a long time And so it's really no surprise that eventually stories like this would make their way to the silver screen. Kind of our earliest inkling of non-depravity came out in the 1920s with the absolutely wonderful silent Scandinavian film *Haxen* from 1922. Um, Supposedly a a kind of um, the, the film serves two purposes. It begins as kind of a documentary about witchcraft and demonology and insanity. And then it moves into kind of fictionalized scenes of like a black mass and sacrifices and demons. And there's also some scenes of nuns being lured away from their righteous calling by the devil. By the late 1960s and early 70s, this kind of offered the perfect time to show the world the cinematic joys of naughty nuns. The motion picture production code, also known as the Hays Code, which has kind of dictated cinema's squeaky clean image during the 40s and 50s, was completely falling apart this time. It was generally ignored by the late 1960s, which kind of created a cinematic free-for-all. And Much of the decade of depravity of the 1970s reigned on screen because no one really cared about this code anymore. And if there was one trait that linked many of these 1970s exploitation films together, it's the element of shock and awe. As I talked about in my torture films episode a couple of weeks back, this is post-war cinema and the moviegoers were really just looking for something to kind of make them feel all the feels of a good horror film, um, something that really shocked them and made them feel something different. And so throughout the 1970s, horror and exploitation films range wildly in subgenres, settings, budgets, et cetera, but they're all linked by the filmmaker's tendency towards transgressiveness, boundary pushing subject matter and shock and awe. The idea of shock me and thrill me, make me feel something and walk away stunned that I even saw that. The marketing in these movies were all about breaking moral codes and seeing something that you were allegedly not supposed to see in horror movies about sinful nuns became commonplace during this time period. So as I've talked about these films with a lot of other people, the question always comes up of why didn't the church immediately denounce these films? Well, to be honest, I'm sure they did, but I'm not sure that the people who were going to see these films cared all that much. Um, a devout Catholic, in theory, is not going to be swayed because they happened upon Jess Franco's 1977 Love Letters of a Portuguese Nun. It was more of a question of why they were watching it in the first place. Plus, the Catholic Church itself was getting a strong makeover during the this time period. As Tamal Nakahara points out in the article Barred Nuns, Italian Nunsploitation Films, from about 1962 to 1965, the Second Vatican Council revamped a lot of the previous rules, including redesigning clerical attire and ending several prior religious prohibitions. So the Catholic Church itself was kind of revamping during this time. And so during this time of social reform, the church could openly refute and criticize mu- movies, but rarely gained enough attention in that to have an effect on the movie's audience. If anything, a large amount of criticism by the church would draw public attention and curious audiences to these movies, causing the intended moral sin to kind of backfire A society lined up to partake in it. And so, of course, the church did not approve of these films, but I don't think that they wanted to draw large amounts of attention to them. And also, I don't think that, you know, they they, they didn't have a lot of crossover audiences, I'm guessing. So let's dive into the history of nunsploitation movies. The majority of the nunsploitation films of the 1970s came out of Mexico, Spain, Italy and Japan. Italy by far reigned the nun releases with an impressive list of works, which really comes as no surprise that Italy had the largest number of nunsploitation films, which are often referred to um, as convent erotica. It's easy to criticize your next-door neighbors, and with the Vatican being right in their backyard and a largely Catholic population, the religious commentary of nuns in films came easily and often from the Italian filmmakers. The first wave of Italian nun films were often versions of of the aforementioned Nun of Monza legend, including the Nun of Monza from 1962, the Monk of Monza from 1963, and the awful story of the Nun of Monza from 1969. Many of these films were categorized as Filone, cheap and quickly cranked out movies that made money. They were very similar to America's Grindhouse films that would come in a couple of years later. And certainly a lot of the Giallo films were a large part of this kind of Filone group. As the revenue and public appeal for these nun films grew, many more were released from Italy throughout the 1970s. Even the art film movement in Italy joined this craze in 1971 when Pasolini made his film The Decameron. Mexico and Spain also had a fair share of non exploitation films in the 1970s, again coming as no surprise since these are predominantly Catholic countries. Some of the greats, um, which I'll talk about in more detail in a bit, include Satanica Pandemonium and *Alucarda*. One of the main sources of 1970s exploitation came from an unlikely and mostly un-Catholic source, and that's Japan. Um, kind of part of the pinky violence film movement, which was the Japanese version of Grindhouse and Sexploitation, some of the more well-known titles include gems like School of the Holy Beast from 1974 and Cloistered Nun, Runa's Confession from 1976. The Japanese nun films are slightly different from their European counterparts. As a whole, they tend to be a little more over-the-top and more caricature-like than European nun flicks. This historically has been scratched up to the fact that Japan likely knows a little bit less about the Catholic religion than the devoutly practicing countries. However, Japan had its share of Christian missionaries trouncing through the country, trying to convert everyone to join the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and their legion of nuns. It seems that though portrayals in these films may be more comical and overdone, the Japanese nun movies ultimately deliver the same point as the European ones, a critical FU-style commentary directed at the oppressing religious organization. And though not a large producer of nunsploitation films, the United Kingdom birthed one of the most notorious films of the nunsploitation genre and definitely one of my favorite, The Devils from 1971. Directed by Ken Russell and starring Vanessa Redgate, The Devils was loosely based on the Aldous Huxley book, The Devils of Loudoun. This film became a huge source of controversy and eventual legend, telling the story of a 16th century priest and his less than devout nuns, this film originally featured, the past tense of the word, a plethora of sex, exorcism, nudity, nun orgies, masturbation, and enemas which were used in the film to rid people of the devil. The British Board of Film Censors immediately gave the film a big hell no, and Russell began the long process of cutting out the depravity. The devils eventually passed the censors, still receiving an X rating. Unfortunately, through all of the Various cutting processes, and over time, much of the removed scenes have been lost or destroyed. Some of the original footage has now been recovered, but some of it is still lost in time. So, where was America when the rest of the world was rolling out all the nun mayhem? The United States was making grindhouse and sexploitation films with a little less nun play than the rest of the world. Nuns still do make an appearance in American films from time to time during the period, but not quite with the same fervor as Europe, Mexico and Japan. Certainly, there were a slew of religious themed horror films that came out during this time, including The Exorcist in 1973, The Omen in 76, Rosemary's Baby in 69 and Alice Sweet Alice in 76. Abel Ferreira gives a wonderful nod to nun nunsploitation in his film Ms. 45 from 1981, which features the incredibly wonderful Zoe Lunn, who completely loses it on a male portion of the species while dressed as a nun, and he again nods at it in Bad Lieutenant in 1992. So now let's dig into kind of the traits of nun exploitation. What groups these films together and what kind of tropes can we always expect in the movie? There are certain traits in all of the nuns films from the late 1960s and 70s, regardless of their country of origin or plot. These traits kind of now define the nun subgenre and have become almost a checklist for the films. First and foremost is the nun sex scene. And it's strange to see a true nun exploitation flick that does not have one of these. Apparently, all the filmmakers had the same idea, that being kind of locked up and chased in a heavy female environment leads to some alternative sexual activities. The nuns in these films um, don't always go for the male priests or monks when they have a sexual awakening, but instead reach for the closest thing, which is their other nuns. And while many of these heavy sexploitation nun titles were helmed by directors who tended towards softcore subject matter, like Valerian, Borachek and Jess Franco, all of these films, regardless of filmmaker, have some type of level of sexual awakening, be it lesbian or heterosexual. And I will say here that while many of these films fetishize lesbianism, some of them also seem to side with it, really treating it as a normal occurrence that happens in normal daily life. They are few and far between in here, but there are hints. Hand- handful of those lurking amongst the nunsploitation masses. The settings of the nun films also tend to be a bit similar, though there are a few variations within that. Most are set in medieval times and many during the Spanish Inquisition, which kind of naturally lends itself to exploitive torture scenes. Again, there's a few variations like the killer nun in School of the Holy Beast, which take place in modern day. Another trait of these films that I love is the element of social commentary. Like a lot of the grindhouse films and the European exploitation films, these nun movies were made for pretty cheaply appearing, you know, just with a checklist of countless acts of depravity. But most have really strong social messages therein the most common trope being that of feminism. Like Ilsa She-Wolf of the SS, kind of buried in the smut and sleeves, there's actually some really powerful feminist messages. In post-1960 style, these nuns of these films are really sick of being oppressed by men, be it the leaders of the town, the priests, or even by God himself. And it seems convoluted that the films with such a strong feminist vibe can at the same time be exploiting women with a plethora of nudity, torture, and sex scenes. But this was the case with a copious amount of groundhouse films, including specific selections from rape revenge films, slasher films, and Nazi exploitation fare as well. The Nun cycle definitely lent itself towards a commentary on religion and Christian views, and this also becomes a predominant theme. However, smaller social themes emerge in a lot of these films. School of the Holy Beast offers a great undercurrent on the commentary of cliques and social castes within the school system. Satanica Pandemonium provides small doses of criticism on racial politics, specifically within the church. The social commentary offers a strange and yet foggy kind of self-validation for viewing these films. Yes, they may be trashy exploits full of sinful carnage acts, but ultimately, they there's some really fascinating social opinions happening in here. So now that we've discussed kind of what these films are and, and kind of some of the traits and tropes of them, I wanted to discuss some choice titles from the original non boom, which was the late 1960s through the early 80s, and then discuss a few contemporary titles that definitely have the same feel and, and really kind of um, follow along with the subgenre and are just beautiful in their own right. Um, So let's start with some of the really great titles from these original um, nonsploitation boom. I'm going to start with one of my favorites, which is Satanico Pandemonium from 1975. This 1975 exploitation um, Mexican classic is a must for any exploitation lover or any horror film lover for that. Satanico is about extremely devout and sexy Sister Maria who gets frequent visions of Satan beckoning her to the dark side. Satan, who kind of looks more like a 1970s porn star, literally pops in and out of frame wearing a 70s sheepskin vest and offering her an altar to allegorical Apple. This film has become well known not just for the nun depravity, but also for the seductively campy devil. In fact, it is so well known in cult film and horror circles that the film's title, Satanical Pandemonium, was Chosen for Selma Hayek's character in From Dust Till Dawn, created by the obvious exploitation fans Quentin Tarantino, Robert Kurtzman, and Robert Rodriguez. In Satanico Pandemonium, Sister Maria is tempted by many wonderful exploitive acts like the quintessential nun lesbian scenes, self flagellation, and eventually she attempts to seduce one of the local young scamps. But I think that one of the most intriguing elements of this film is the cloudy undercurrent of racial politics. The Mexican nunnery features in the film has several black nuns who eat separately from their caucasian and hispanic sisters they're also forced to sleep in the animal stables and sister maria even consoles one of them who is debating suicide because she became a nun to escape persecution but is now being treated poorly because of her race by her fellow sisters the racial current doesn't really go anywhere in the film. But it does call attention to this racial plight, and it does make an interesting post-1960s exploration of race and religion, especially considering that this film came from Mexico and not the United States. So even though that it doesn't necessarily complete itself or become a major plot point, there is some definite social messaging in this and something that is really not explored in a lot of other nun films, which is the element of race. Another one that I find a lot of great social messaging in is Flavia the Heretic from 1974. The Italian nun film Flavia the Heretic is by far one of the most extreme of the nunsploitation genre featuring a visual feast of castration, nipple slicing, and excessive impalements, yet all in a quasi-tastefully woven tragic story of the world's supposedly first feminist nun. Our heroine, Flavia, is an oversexed nun who must suppress all of her fantasies, um, and she dreams of everything from her fellow nuns to swarthy Middle Eastern men. And she spends most of her frigid days kind of musing out loud about why men are so important in Christian society while all the females are just there for servitude. Flavia rants about the Christianity's father and son and Holy Ghost and how they are all men and she continues about how the almighty male God decided to make some humans and Adam came from God's rib but while the first female Lilith was just made from kind of God's primordial septic tank and was deemed immediately evil because she wouldn't submit to Adam. Then God created the subservient Eve. And so Flavia spends a lot of the film dreaming and then musing about all this stuff. When she finally gets sick of the 1600s religious kind of glass ceiling, in a truly 1970s post feminist fashion, Flavia revolts against her Christian brethren and joins up with the Middle Eastern guy that I mentioned before. Flavia then leads the Muslims in a brutal revolution against the convent and the evil females. But after several sex scenes and in one opium laced drug trip, Flavia is shocked to realize that this new swarthy Middle Eastern guy that she has joined up with is a chauvinist and oppressing women just as much as the Christians did. And so I'll stop my summary there to preserve the intense shock, especially what happens during the third act. But I will say that this definitely delves into one of the most disturbing and graphic scenes within the last three minutes of the film. Even I found myself cringing and turning away from nausea, and uh, it was definitely pretty strong. But that said... Our entire journey to get to those last three minutes of torture scene are just riddled with wonderful post-feminist views on on religion across the board, not even just Christianity. Another one that I have to give some love to is School of the Holy Beast from 1974. This Japanese film School of the Holy Beast was made by the notorious Toei Company, which generated countless exploitation films as part of the pinky violent subgenre of 1970s Japan. Filled to the brim with nudity, whipping, stabbings, even a vat of acid, School of the Holy Beast is about the dispute of caste systems within the convent. There's the choir nuns who hate the assistant nuns, and the lesbian mother superior goes through her own mental turmoil. And then there's a plot that develops about a woman who is searching for her birth mother. There's a lot going on in this one. The one thing that School of the Holy Beast has become known for is his excessive and surprising artistic filming. The film's over-the-top situation and almost caricature-like portrayals of church members are shot incredibly well at times times beautifully so really do not miss this staple of japanese non i'll also discuss the killer nun from 1978 The Italian film The Killer Nun is one of the most well-known nunsploitation movies, and this is largely because it made the notorious video nasty list in Britain in 1984. Along with other exploitation greats like Cannibal Holocaust and The Evil Dead, The Killer Nun was placed on this list of films in Britain that were deemed unfit to watch. Yet the notoriety stamped this film with a desirable allure, and even today the Blue Underground DVD cover touts that The Killer Nun was censored around the world, and banned outright in Britain. So The Killer Nun is supposedly based on real events, or as the tagline says, it is, quote, from the secret files of the Vatican, end quote. Not that I doubt the reality of this seedy and twisted plot, but I could not find any mention of what the actual case was that it was based on. Um, Made towards the end of the nuns exploitation cycle in 1978, The Killer Nun weaves a mysterious tale of Sister Gertrude, who is played by the amazing Anina Eckbert from La Dolce Vita. Driven by a possible brain tumor and a nasty morphine addiction, Sister Gertrude goes on binges of sex, drugs, torture, and murder. This film features the norms of a nun film, like with the drug trip, the lesbian nun scene, and also some surprisingly sophisticated plot to carry all this depravity along though well-known and extremely renowned in its own right, The Killer Nun has a lot more camp value than I think we saw in a lot of the previous nunsploitation fair. A lot less of the shock and awe and more kind of almost at times like a sitcom feel. Um, it's got a really strong soundtrack to it that kind of makes it feel less like a horror film and more like a kind of domestic drama about this nun who's going through all of this stuff because of her brain tumor. Our main nun Sister Gertrude is even a little campy and over the top as well. She is amazingly gorgeous as a nun, but when she strips off the habit and hits the town, the makeup gets a little over the top. Um, it almost is kind of like 1980s Kathleen Turner meets Divine. Um, her outfits get really garish and it feels almost like a caricature. Ultimately, this movie has a pretty strong message about the life of a nun. It sucks. The suppressed life eventually leads several of the devout Daughters of Christ to not just lesbian entanglements, but also insanity and murder within the film. Whereas most of the nunsploitation subgenre uses the suffering and the depravity of the nuns as a frame on which to hang social commentary about religion, feminism, and war, Killer Nun is kind of just about the trials and tribulations of being an insane nun. There's really no hidden agenda here except to give a message about their miserable nun life, punctuated with some sex and drug scenes. The movie is best sunned up by one of the earliest lines in the movie. It's a nun's vocation to suffer. I also have to give mad love to the aforementioned devils from 1971. Alucarda from 1977, which is about two girls who meet in kind of a private Catholic boarding school and within that begin to summon the devil. Um, Sister Emmanuel, one of the Emmanuel films from 1977, which crossed uh, the sex sexploitation films with exploitation. Ms. 45 from 1981, one of my favorite films ever. And also To the Devil, A Daughter from 1976. And as we close out today's show, I also want to discuss five recent nun titles that I definitely think are must sees for any horror fans. When I say recent, I just mean that these are post 1980s. So I'll start with Exorcist 3 from 1990. Though the nuns in this film are not featured predominantly and are by no means the focus of the plot, they are a source of the scares throughout the movie, so I highly recommend checking it out. Um, Quite possibly the best jump scare in cinematic history is executed by a nun in this movie. Um, Next up, I'll say Dark Waters, also known as Dead Waters from 1994. This is another one of my favorite films ever. About a young girl who, um, after her mother dies, discovers that her mother had been making kind of regular payments to this very isolated convent on um, a very isolated island in the middle of the ocean. And so she travels there to see what her mother's connection was and why her mom had been making payments to this convent. It's very quiet. It's very isolated. It's very dark. And it is very, very Lovecraftian. Um, Such a wonderful film. That is Dark Waters from 1994. Um, Next up is one from just a couple of years ago. Uh, That is Veronica from 2017. This Spanish film features a blind nun nicknamed Sister Death by the students who is not the focus of the film but she definitely definitely adds a lot to uh, kind of the ominous and scary moments of it this is directed by Paco Plaza who is well known for the Rex series and Veronica is just amazing um, so much use of a cult and kind of religious commentary Next up is The Convent from 2000. Um, this one is directed by Mike Mendez, who really does kind of mix nunsploitation movies with 1980 splatter films in this wonderful tale set in Abandoned Convent about a group of Satanists who accidentally kind of bring to life a bunch of demon nuns. Um, absolutely fun film, big scares, and uh, somehow it is able to execute this amazing splatter in 2000 still has an 80s feel and somehow never gets campy or funny. And then I will end with the most recent nun film, which was The Nun from 2018, directed by Korn Hardy, part of The Conjuring Universe um, that was originally created by James Wan and based off the nun painting in uh, The Conjuring films. This one was not my favorite nun film of the past couple of years, but it definitely does execute a lot of really good scares within the convent using a lot of religious imagery and, and really kind of does give love to the church more than a lot of the other non-sploitation films. It's still definitely worth a watch and I love Corin Hardy across the board and can't wait to see what he does next. And so with that... Thank you all for joining me on this journey into um, a tiny little subgenre of films that for some reason I continue to be fascinated by. If I missed any choice titles, please message me. I'm always looking for new non-sploitation titles. Um, so please message me on uh, the Nightmare University Twitter, Facebook, or on Instagram. And please follow us on all of them thank you all so much for listening we will be back in two weeks with another fun episode this one discussing heavy metal horror films so thank you all and amen well, you, you know how to wake the dead you think you've heard the call you think you're an undead superstar and you think you know it all well you don't know nothing punk talking that same cadaver jump let me show you- Nightmare University is a Fangoria Podcast Network original produced and hosted by Rebecca McKendry, producer Natasha Passetta, executive producers Dallas Sonier and Phil Nobile Jr., associate producer Jessica Safavimer, art and design by Ashley Detmering, sound recording, design, and mixing by David McKendry, music by The Serpentines, for Fangoria, Brandon Winerdi, Jason Koslerich, and Rachel Wilson.